All right, so I am so excited to be starting this new series called I Heart My Church. And the reason why I am so excited is because 18 years ago, I actually hated church. So if you are here and you're like, my mom brought me here or someone invited me, I have no idea what's going on. I still don't even know if I like this place, even though some people seem like they do. I'm just warning you because in a decade and a half, you might be a lead pastor. So there, there is your fair warning. Back in 96 when Evan was a fetus, a little chicken nugget that his mom carried in, his, in her pocket. <laughs> I don't know if he was even alive then. I don't know. Um, I, was, I was sitting in church every Sunday, disconnected from the spirit of God and just hating it. And you fast forward and now I'm preaching a message. I put my green screen color Game Boy to the side and I said, God, have your way. I'm here. Anyone else remember that? <laughs> but you know, maybe you're hearing like you, you don't necessarily love church. So let me connect on some things that I have discovered that all New Yorkers do love. And I'm telling you, I have found this to be true. New Yorkers love Billy Joel. <laughs> you love this man. And, and I'm just going to tell you, if you are ever in a position where people tell you, I cannot believe you go to V1 Church, it's an occult, take them to a Billy Joel concert and make them convince you that's not an occult. <laughs> the next thing that you love out here, and everyone knows it, but this is the secret, is that you love pizza. But wait, and this is highly controversial, but what I've discovered is that many of you, you have this guilty pleasure. Go back to the pizza slide. Someone got mad because I said this, but you all love Pizza Hut. Okay, we're just going to change topics. <laughs> Some of you guys here love the Jets. <laughs> this, if anyone's taking notes like public speaking one-on-one, this is how you turn the crowd on you. Like, this is how not to win them over. I'm just trying to, this is like an object lesson to all the preachers in the room. And those of you listening by way of the podcast, can we give it up for everyone listening by way of the podcast so they can hear you? I've had people hitting me up saying we're listening to the podcast, podcast every week while they're working out and all this other stuff, so it's awesome. And for a long time before I debuted the podcast, I actually had people who were um, recording it with their phones, which was awesome because there's such a hunger here. The last thing that I know that New Yorkers really love, and I've discovered this, is you all love dogs. Oh, that's so cute. I'm just going to flash this picture every time our church starts dealing with offense and rejection and all. <laughs> but you guys love dogs, and, and because you're willing to pick their fecal matter up off the ground and carry it in a plastic baggie all day. And they do nothing for you. These dogs are useless. They, they don't defend you. They don't pick up the paper and bring it back to you. Like they literally only cost you time and money and energy. And that's why I'd rather have a kid than a dog because at least eventually I can just slave drive the kid, you know, <laughs> which is my ultimate destiny for both of my children. 
too far? My wife is always in the corner either amening me or yelling too far. <laughs> Let's change the slide so you guys don't think I'm just playing games. Because everyone who knows me in this place knows that on the inside, I'm an 86-year-old black Southern gospel preacher. So before this is over, I will be spitting, foaming from the mouth. We're going there. But in New York, if you say I love my church, that's almost weird, right? Like you can love the club, give them all your money on a weekend, literally blow your whole money on like the weirdest drink concoctions that anyone's ever heard of that are embarrassingly weird if I read the list of everything you drank in the club that you spent $400 on. But if someone gives to the local church, you're like, you're giving that church your money? And I'm like, but you've got a budget for Starbucks that exceeds my rent. That's just your church. Caffeine is the largest unregulated drug in the United States. Did you know that? That makes Starbucks a really big drug dealer. And, you, and people will have no problem with you spending money and time on the drug of caffeine or, or going to a Billy Joel concert and play, paying an absurd amount of money for tickets and, and singing out loud these songs or whatever and acting completely crazy. But you come here and you sing a song without being intoxicated with that other kind of wine and you're a psychopath to your family. You see, there's an upside down system and there's a warfare that goes on over your soul and there's a lot of lies that are told to keep you out of this place. Church isn't supposed to be tolerated, it's supposed to be celebrated. And a lot of people in New York, you just were raised in this environment where you just tolerated church, like, okay, let's get this over with because I got the rest of my Sunday, right? But we don't just tolerate church, we celebrate it. And you know, it, it's, it's funny because it's like, it's not weird to love dogs, the Jets, Billy Joel, but it's weird to love church. And there's a group of people in this place who are saying, it's not weird anymore, it's cool. It's cool to love my church. And we're all leaving out of here and getting V1 tattoos when it's over. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> Some of you are like, yeah, who's paying? <laughs> I want to look at a scripture that I passed over many times in my life and, and never realized the fullness of what was happening in it. And for those of you who are biblical scholars sitting in your pharisaical seat judging the intro of this message, we're going deep. Are you ready to go deep? <laughs> so get your notes out, your brand new notepads, your notebooks, and uh, write this down. Matthew chapter six, 16, verses 13 through 20, we're going to take a look at. And you know what's funny? I heard another one of my preacher friends say that his, he was telling his wife, like, it was so quiet during my message. And, and she was like, honey, you told them to take notes. They can't multitask. <laughs> so I'm just giving you permission to shout back at me. I'm giving you permission to, to be alive. I'm giving you permission to, if something hits home, turn to your, the person next to you and say, well, because we all know that's the way of, if, if they're here and I say something that they needed to hear and you know they need to hear it and it's coming from the microphone, you just, you alley-oop it to them by saying, well... And, and so you have permission to do that. So Matthew chapter 16, verse 13 through 20, it says, when Jesus arrived in the villages of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, what are people saying about who the Son of Man is? Now, it's funny because I just moved, along, uh, moved to New York and I'm newer to Long Island and people mention places around here that have no connotation to me. So for you guys who have been around the block, someone drops like a location name and that hits you in a way that doesn't affect me, right? 
So when you read this, you may know nothing about this location that Jesus arrived to. But let me tell you a little bit about it. He had to travel northeast, probably took several days uphill. So that's a grueling journey. And when he got there, the nickname of this place that, that, that is a crazy nickname is literally the Gates of Hades. And it was a place that was so debaucherous. I want you to imagine that high school trip you went on and didn't tell your mom and dad all of what you did. And then I want you to combine it with that trip you took to Mardi, Mardi Gras that one time. And then I want you, somebody's laughing because they're like, yep, okay, he's got the whole list. And then I want you to take a Vegas nightlife experience for a recently divorced middle-aged man. Combine all those experiences and multiply by 100. That was the location that Jesus was journeying multi, multiple days uphill to get to, to have this moment. Does that make a little more sense? Take the craziest place of sin and debauchery and craziness that you've ever imagined in your life. There was actually a temple there that was erected over this cavern that they couldn't see the depths of, and they threw people into it to sacrifice them. Sexual immorality and all kinds of craziness happened on a level that we will never be able to fathom, I pray. And that's where Jesus went in this verse 13. And he stands in front and actually never tells us whether he enters into this location fully or he's outside of it. And, and he's standing out there and he's turning to his disciples, his followers, and he says, who are people saying that I am? And then they reply, well, the people are saying that you're, this is verse 14. Some think that, that he is John the baptizer. Some say Elijah. Some say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And what's interesting about this is people had these perspectives about who Jesus was. Let me read this to you because it's so crazy to me. We don't, biblical scholars don't know why Jesus chose this location to reveal who he really was to his disciples. This was the winter before his crucifixion. And so we, we really don't have an idea about why he chose this location, but we have some clues. So Caesarea Philippi was located, the cave of Pan, which I, which I told you about, which they threw bodies into. But listen to this. It was in the area that the first king of Israel led the northern kingdom of Israel into idol worship. This was also the same place where the Greeks and Romans received revelations from the god Pan, who was mentioned in classical writings as a seer or a fortune teller to, to give revelations. So this location that he was standing in front of was a very significant location. It was a battleground for people's souls. And, and it was bad people doing bad things. And so he's standing in that place. And, and let, me, let me just give you the translation of what Matthew chapter 16 is. It's Jesus saying, I am not afraid of messy people and messy lives. And I'm not running away from all the mess and I'm not running away from all the imperfection. I'm actually going to walk uphill towards it, and I'm going to reveal the truth of who I am inside that location. So the message that church has given so many of us is the message that you clean yourself up first, then you come to church. But Jesus, it's quite the opposite. He's saying, while you're still in the mess, I'm coming to you in the movie theater. I'm coming to you through a relationship of a friend before you have it all figured out because I'm not afraid of messy people. Pastors are sometimes afraid of messy people. 
but I'm not afraid of messy people. And, and here's something I've noticed. This is a side note. Most of the people calling out other people are actually deflecting their own dirty secrets. A lot of the people that I've met in Christian leadership that are afraid to be around messy people have some mess that they're afraid of being revealed themselves. But Jesus stood in that place and he said that I'm going to reveal who I am. You know, we tell people become like us here at the church, right? The frozen chosen, <laughs> us four no more. And then maybe you can be included. But Jesus actually said, I'm going to wrap myself in flesh and experience everything you've been through and then teach you how to become like God, the Father. And, and, and I praise God that we've created an environment here at V1 Church for messy people. And I heard someone else say that, like, you know, when you have kids in diapers, like, that's crazy. It can get explosive sometimes. I don't know if you've ever had that experience. And, and so we're kind of like out of that face, thank God, just in time for another kid, right, Jules? And, <laughs> but you know, we've got some churches that are afraid of mess. And, and I pray that V1 Church never outgrows the phase of changing diapers. I pray that there's always new believers who are fresh out of using, fresh maybe in it, people who are still going through. I, I just pray that we're never going to be that church that's not okay with changing diapers, that's not okay with taking people fresh on their journey and saying, let's go together on this walk. Let me continue reading. Matthew chapter 6, verse 13 says, he pressed them now. And he said, how about you? Who do you say I am? And let me just tell you right now, if you're ever wondering what is the final exam at the end of ages when you stand before God, this is the final exam. It's God's going to ask you, who do you say I am? And based on your experience in this life and how you answered this question will determine your fate in that moment. Because first he started with like, who, who did all these people say I am? And you got friends and family members who have all these crazy ideas about who God is and what church is all about. But he asked them, now, who do you say I am? And we get the best answer ever. Simon Peter said, you're the Christ, the Messiah, the son of the living God. And all of a sudden, Jesus is like, you got it. You just said that I am the hope of the world. And that is the best answer. And upon that rock... I'm going to build a church that not even the gates of hell will prevail against. Now, mind you, in the background of this message that he's preaching to them right now, you have a place that's physically designated the gates of hell. And what he's saying is that we're going to start a movement out of this radical love that bursts forth from the resurrected Christ that is not going to be overrun by the messiness of people's lives that people are not going to be able to stop because of their criticism and their drama, that people are not going to be, be able to hold back because of their own personalized opinion, but it's my church that will prevail against even the gates of hell. And you know, it's funny because people have all these different opinions about church, but guess what? 2,000 years later, V1 Church is meeting in a movie theater and the church is still alive and well and God's still having his way. And not even the gates of hell are going to prevail against it. And let me just tell you this, I would rather be a chef than a food critic. I'd rather be an author than a literary critic. And what we've got nowadays is a lot of people who are quick to criticize the church and my message to all of them is ante up and start one. Get into the messiness of people's lives and go the distance with them. 
clock in and never clock out because anyone can offer their opinion, but it takes a legend to offer their life. And what God's calling us to in this place is not to offer our opinion about what the church should be and and how it should be done, but to offer our life and service and say, God, I'm just here to love on people so radically that not even the gates of hell will prevail against that love. Is there anyone in this place who said, I'm ready to love like that? Come on. You know, Simon Peter answered, and, and what I think is so funny about Peter is this dude messed up so much. He's one of my favorite people in scripture because I guess I identify with how little he actually got the plan. And he had these extreme moments of figuring it all out and then missing the mark. Anyone else feel like that? And, and yet he gets the answer right here, gets rebuked and corrected by Jesus almost immediately after this. But do you know that when it was all said and done, Peter actually died on a cross upside down because he didn't feel worthy to die like his master? And you know, there was this moment where he was asked by God, like, do you really love me? Jesus confronted him and gave him these different layers and levels of love. And he said, do you really love me? And finally he said, yes, I do love you. But the proof wasn't in the words that came out of his mouth. It was in the blood that poured upside down out of his wounds as he was on the cross for Jesus. And the world is so sick and tired of lip service, church. If you are a believer in this place, your opinion matters very little to the world. And what they don't want to see is another cleverly crafted Facebook post. But what they want to see is your hands blistered, working in service of their life and showing them real love. And I pray that I don't leave a legacy of a whole bunch of brainiacs and people that can be magicians with scripture, but I leave a legacy of people who say, in your moment of pain, I'll cry with you. When you need to be moved, I'll move you. When you need money, we'll pull our resources and make it happen because we are going to show the definition of love and family in a way that makes the world jealous. I wish I had something like they have at V1 Church. I know that I've accomplished my mission when people are like, I would rather move away from the affordability of the Midwest into the most expensive region because I want to be a part of a church that loves that well. But I can't do it all, right? You guys have to sign up and say, upon this rock, build your church. And it wasn't the rock of Peter's perfection that this church was going to be built on. It was on the rock of Peter's expression. Jesus, you are the hope of the world. And on that, you'll build a church. And then this is funny. I love this. Let's continue reading. It says this, verse 18. This is the rock on which I will put together my church, a church so expansive with energy that not even the gates of hell will be able to keep it out. And basically, Jesus says, I will build my church. 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 And it's very popular for people nowadays to say, you know what? I love Jesus. He's a great philosophical teacher. But you know what? I just not down for church. But let me just submit to you in this place that God will never lead you away from the very thing he died for. Is that all right? (laughs) He's never going to lead you away from the thing he died for. And I think one of the most liberating things that can confront you in this place this morning is this acknowledgement that for all the times you were hurt in life, you've done a lot of hurt in yourself. And I think that as we open up our arms and say, you know what, it's time to love again, it's time to try again, it's time to ante up, God honors that. And for everyone in this place that was hurt by church leadership in your past, on behalf of church leadership, I'm offering my apologies. 
on behalf of everyone who was let down, on behalf of everyone who was forgotten and never called back, on behalf of everyone who was given a fake, thin, replaceable love, I'm offering my sincerest apologies. But you know what? Just because some people messed up marriage doesn't mean that marriage isn't instituted by God. Just because you had a bad teacher didn't mean that you dropped out instantaneously from school, right? Because you had some of that redeemed education for you too. And I think what we've got to do is say, man, thank you, God, because I sense that there's something happening at V1 Church that's enabling me to say the words that I never thought I was going to say ever again in my life. I love my church. And for those of you who are new, there are people in this place that your first church ever is V1. And some people are probably crying right now, like, wouldn't that be crazy? Wouldn't that be awesome? Because you don't know what happened to me and my other church. You don't know what was done to me at my other church. You don't know what was done to my family member. And this is, this is a really heavy message because it has to be a message of reconciliation because I'm standing in a crazy place right now. You know, I, I just want to share this. I recently did a wedding of an awesome couple and, and I told him, I said, you know what? I want to start this first journey of marriage counseling towards marrying you guys. And, and I don't want any money from you. And I don't want you to pay me to do the ceremony because that messes up the motive. And I want you to understand I'm after your heart and I'm after your soul and I want God to bring healing and restore and I want him to do what only he can do. And if there's money being exchanged in this process, like it's gonna mess it up. And man, as I begin to speak that, there was just so much freedom that began to take place. And there was just this, and, and they begin to tell stories about what they went through in the church and how they were hurt by the church. And, and so I'm standing in this, this crazy heavy place to start a message series called I Heart My Church because that might be the hardest words that some of you in this place ever get out because of what happened to you. But there's a promise. There's a promise. And Jesus made the promise, not Mike Signorelli, because my promises, man, they're better than most people's, right? Like when I put out there, we're going to give away a weekend staycation, like you believed it was going to happen, right? Now take the most lunatic, crazy uncle in your family, because we all have one. And if you're not thinking of a name, it's you. <laughs> or an aunt, crazy aunt, that crazy aunt. And imagine that they just said, I'm going to pay off all of your student loans. Maybe no one has student loans here. Okay. <laughs> Deliverance is happening right now in the aisles. And we're going to pay off your mortgage. We're going to pay off all your credit card debt from that Capital One that you bought a Pizza Hut pizza on 20 years ago. And it's now worth $1,263. <laughs> Lord Jesus, help us. Now take that crazy, absolutely like weird aunt uncle saying, I'm going to go ahead and pay all that off for you. You're like, yeah, right, psychopath. You haven't even remembered my birthday for a decade, okay? You don't even remember my name sometimes. Now take Bill Gates. Bill Gates walks into this place and saying, I'm feeling generous, right? I'm making $10,000 a second, right? And I want to pay off all of your debt. There's credibility because of who made the promise. Do you hear where I'm going with this? So I'm not promising to build this church. I'm not promising that this is going to be the solution for the ills of society as the local church. I didn't make that promise. I didn't make the promise that there's going to be such a radical love that not even the gates of hell are going to prevail against it and the messy people are going to get their lives cleaned up beyond any recognition. Jesus is the one who made that promise. And as Jesus makes that promise, you better believe it's reliable. 
Now, we're still celebrating Easter because we believe every day is a celebration of the resurrection. And when you have this tomb that open and Jesus, the resurrected king, walks out of it, that brings a lot of credibility to the promise. Because I'll tell you right now, I don't believe Jesus for what he said. I believe Jesus for what he did. There was a lot of religious figures and societies throughout the time that said crazy things. And it's easy to give lip service, but when Jesus made five times the promise that I'm going to die and be resurrected and I'm coming back, he made good on his promise. And because he made good on that promise, I can stand before you today and say, your opinion will not stop the church from prevailing. Your criticism will not stop the church from prevailing. Your abuse and the things that you've encountered in church will not stop the true church from prevailing. And so what I'm here to tell you today is that the promise still stands, like Ferdick says, because Jesus is who he said he is, the resurrected king, and your opinion is not going to stop it. But what the invitation that all of you have to be confronted with right now is will you get into the flow of what God is getting ready to do and run through this region with? Will you get into the flow? Maybe you're a skeptic. You know, maybe you're like, I just can't see how this is actually going to work out and how this is actually going to happen. But I would invite you, the ones who are skeptical in this place, to experience a love that you never experienced before. Because the same Jesus that was walking a multiple days journey uphill towards one of the messiest regions just to stand outside of it and ask the final question before he revealed his true identity is in this place today. And he's asking you, who do you say I am? Forget about your mom, who was a hardcore Christian who raised you in the church. She can't answer this question for you. Forget about your family who drug you to church. You have to ask this question. Is it Republican Jesus that you use for your political platform in your pride and arrogance? Is it hippie Jesus that you use to justify you doing whatever you want to do because he loves you without a standard? Or is he the hope of the world, alive, active, here right now through the Holy Spirit revealing to your heart the fullness of it? And this isn't your crazy Uncle Mike telling you about a promise. This is a man of God who has seen the promise fulfilled in his life. I want everyone to just stand to their feet as I just close this out and just want to tell you a very intimate story from my life. You know, it's really easy to read the New Testament and look at Matthew and like, man, these guys are idiots, but Matthew didn't have the book of Matthew to reference. You know that, right? And, and I don't expect some of you guys to figure this out and, and, and to go through the motions and, and get it all right. And that's why we come back to this place every single week and we get better and we grow together and we need the sharpening of those relationships. But, but I'm here to tell you that Jesus is who he said he is. In Matthew chapter 28, verses 5 through 7, it says, The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who is crucified. Somebody in this place is looking for Jesus. I don't believe for a second you came for me. I don't believe for a second that you came for any other reason that there's something inside of you that wants so badly to believe that Jesus is who he says he is. And these women went looking. Now, women at this time in society had no credibility. And don't you love how Jesus chose to reveal to the people who probably have the most credibility? 
And so for all the religions that have shut women up, guess what the gospel, the, the message of the gospel came to first? The women. And God's about to raise up some powerful women to be communicators and speak in this church. Can I get an amen from the women in this place? The gospel message came first to women, and, and he says he is not here. He, he's risen just as he said because the promise is valid. Come and see the place where he lay. It was an invitation into their skepticism. He didn't say, don't ask these questions. He said, come and see. And that same, that same voice is saying it to you right now. Come and see. It says this. He is risen from the dead, and he is going ahead of you into Galilee. In other words, Jesus is up, risen, and he's on to the next thing. And for those who love to powwow around the movements of the past and love to talk about the best of what happened on Long Island 20 years ago, I got news for you. He's on to the next thing, and we're following after him. We're not making a monument here to what was, what was. It's over. It's a new day. Jesus is on the move, and we're on the move with him. He says, go to Galilee and there you will see him. Everyone say there. Not in the tomb where the great miracle happened at a time, but there somewhere new. And so here's what's happening. There's a shift and I just feel it right now in my bones. There was a resurrection experience in your life, but you have camped out there. And the word of the Lord to you today is, Jesus done move location. If you want to meet him, you better move too. He's not doing what you came from. That was awesome, and he never has taken away from the validity of it, but he's walking ahead of you into Galilee, and if you want to see him, you better get out of here. That's what the angel of the Lord's telling you today through Pastor Mike. There's all this talk in Christianity, and I want everyone on, on the podcast to hear this, and all the religious folks that I know who, from the Midwest and all around the world who are just praying for revival. Please, I want revival. I want revival. And, and literally, we have missed God seeking for revival. And the biggest thing I want you to take away from this message this morning is that Jesus said, I'm not dying for a movement called a revival. The movement that I've predestined before the foundations of the world wasn't something you can market, wasn't something that you can put clever branding on. It wasn't a revival where you can feel a whole bunch of chills and go home. The thing that I'm going to birth through you is going to be called the church. And it's the church that's going to be that movement. And so what I want to happen here on Long Island is a shift away from seeking the events and becoming part of the reality of the church and letting your roots go down deep. And there is a God that's resurrecting and there's a God that's shifting you out of the past and moving you into the next stage. Do I have permission to tell you something really personal? I've got to be vulnerable for some of you to be vulnerable and get freedom because we're almost done. You know, it's no mystery to many of you guys on the team because you've heard us preach on it before, but my wife and I went through two miscarriages, and that's something that we talk about a lot. But something occurred to me as I was preparing for this message, the first one in I Heart My Church, that that second time that Julie had the miscarriage, we found out that, and again, this is just, I'm just going there, okay? And this is, this is real life. The second time, they said, you're going to have to have a surgery to remove that baby. 
because it's not going to pass on its own and if you don't have the surgery it will become toxic to you and you'll die and so what happens in the natural biologically is that that one death could have produced another death do you hear where i'm going and some of you in this room have experienced the death of dreams the death of relationship the death of vision the death of ministry and it's been toxic to you on the inside of you and the word to you is it's time to let it go okay come on that's okay yeah you you can clap it's time to let it go somebody's gonna get free like it was one thing to mourn because see, when we found out we we're gonna have this baby, it was like we were at Olive Garden and they brought out a bottle instead of you know the glasses of our water, and it was full. And I'm got surprised, and I'm like, congratulations, you're gonna, you're, I'm pregnant, and you just you go through that and you start looking at clothing and start thinking about how you're gonna set up the room, and you go through all that preparation and it's work. And some of you guys have visions and dreams that you've worked towards. Come on, are you hearing me? You've got things in your life that you literally put action to, and, and your expectation level was so high. You know, you went to another church and you got on teams and leadership and, and you just went all in and the expectation was there and then all of a sudden you went to go do a heartbeat check and realized it's over. And you've been carrying this thing in you. Some of you, it's even marriages. And you tried so hard and you were like, I, but I said those vows and I meant those vows. It was real. And, and so when I think about the miscarriage, it just, it becomes a focal point for this message because it was a real life that was in Julie. And you can't take away from that. Some of you had real marriages that died and you've been carrying it around and it's toxic inside of you. And, and I'm not about preaching pretty messages, but I've got to preach you the truth that Jesus has left the tomb and he's headed to Galilee and if you let this thing stay inside of you, you're gonna miss seeing him and you're gonna miss going into all of what God has for you. And maybe it is a miscarriage and maybe you're afraid to tell anyone and maybe only a few people know, but God's message to you today is that that womb cannot be prepared for new life until the dead thing is released. And you know, it was after that second time that all of a sudden we conceived again and nine months later Everly Faith was born and all of her Long Island ticked off glory. She, maybe she's God's revenge on, on the world. I'm, I'm coming back. And, and here's the thing. God is a God that validates in his love and some of you need God to validate your pain. Yes, it was hard. Yes, it was difficult. You need God to validate the loss. Yes, you did lose something, but there cannot be a resurrection unless there's first a death. And what makes that story so powerful in my life is knowing that it wasn't done yet. And I'm here to tell you, you don't have the right to finish the story in your life. Come on. We handed you a notebook to write down God's story, not your own, because he's the one writing your story today. And you don't have the right to tell him what he can and can't do because by definition, he can do whatever he wants. I want you to close your eyes in this place. Right now, God is asking for permission because he's a gentleman. 
See, he gave you a free will. You are not a robot. And people all the time are like, why doesn't God do this, this, and this? Well, guess what? He gave you dominion. He empowered you through the cross. He gave you a will. And you've got to align your will with his will to get free. And so right now, as you're in this place and the Holy Spirit's dealing with your heart, the first thing that the angel said to the woman when they showed up to the tomb was, do not be afraid. Because fear is always the first response before you're given assignment to your destiny. Someone in this place is about to get free from fear. The angel said, do not be afraid. And then two sentences later, he's given them directions to see where they can find Jesus. And so I'm telling you today, you are going to get free. Do not be afraid. Don't be afraid to pour your life out in the local church. Don't be afraid to put your roots down. Don't be afraid to love again. Don't be afraid to open your arms again. Because there's freedom in that place for you. With every eye closed, Jesus said this. He said, if you would confess with your mouth, and those words are, are like the surgery that releases. If you would just confess with your mouth that I am the hope of the world, that I am who I said I am, and believe in your heart and receive me, you will be saved. Romans 10 verse 9. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe it in your heart, that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And so with every eye closed in this place, I, I want to see your hand if you're saying, I am ready for the old to pass away and the new. Just lift up your hand in this place if you're saying, I am ready to declare. I'm letting it out of my mouth. I've got to get the old and the dead and the toxic out of me so God can come in and do what only he can do. Just stretch your hand. Come on, some of you, with every eye closed, just stretch it out even higher in boldness now, saying, I want to receive Jesus. I want to receive the cross. I want to receive the freedom that only he can offer me. Come on, there hands all over this place come on there's hands all over this place because you are not going to leave the way that you came in and we are going to say God thank you you put your hands down so here's what we're going to do we have a prayer team that's here it's time. I'm telling you, this, this is an atmosphere of miracles. Addiction is going to be broken. If you came in with an addiction, it is going to be broken today. God is going to use this prayer team who's standing in front of you on either side of the media table to just usher you into the presence of God and pray for your specific needs. So what we're going to do in this place is I'm going to count to three. And if you raised your hand and I saw hands all over, I want you to just at the, at the end, when we hit three, I want you to come out of your seat and come down to this, this section to be prayed for. And I want you to allow God to continue what he started during this message, okay? And so one, you're in this place and you just, you know that God's been dealing with your heart. You should have been somewhere else. You told your friend, maybe I'll come, maybe I'll not come. And yet here you are dressed and standing in your seat too. The Holy Spirit's been pulling on you. It's time for freedom. There's a stirring that's happening in your heart and your mind. You do not want to go home with that same toxicity. It's time for you to be free. And God's flinging the doors open right now. Three, come out of your seat and begin to come down now. Come on down. Let's give them a hand as they come down now. Come on, let's lift it up.
Thank you for listening. Your experience doesn't have to end with this message. Visit us online at v1.church and send us a message. If you would like to help V1 reach New York and beyond, download the V1 Church app for iPhone and Android and click Give. Join us this Sunday for our weekend celebration. Directions and info can be found on our website.